Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're delighted to have you back one more time, this time for lesson number six. We are looking at the hour of his judgment. We're about halfway through our quarter together, looking at three cosmic messages, the three angels' message, and uh, and we're digging into some of the meat of it right now, and we're glad that you are joining us. Why don't we begin with prayer? Father, we thank you for the opportunity again that you give us to delve into your word, into subjects that pertain to us today in a very real way. Thank you for helping us to understand that there's nothing to fear but everything to look forward to. And especially as we're looking at the topic of judgment, we ask that you would make that clear to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, our guest this week once again is Pastor Mark Finley. He is an international speaker and evangelist and has quite the positive history here at It Is Written. Uh, Welcome back once again. Thank you so much, Pastor Eric. So this subject, the hour of his judgment, is a big one. It's a big one because every person who has ever lived or died is ultimately going to be judged. Now, for some people, that's a a scary thought. But my suspicion is by the time we get done with, with this week's lesson, it's not going to be quite so scary, though certainly meaningful. Now, we're on week number six of 13, which means we've already covered five lessons, five weeks' worth of lessons. Can you help bring us up to speed, kind of recap, review what we've been through so far to to bring us up to speed today? Sure, be happy to. You know, um, actually, you mentioned that the judgment is scary to some people. I was thinking of a statement by Daniel Webster, the famous American statesman of yesteryear. He was asked once, what's the most solemn thought that ever passed your mind? And he said, the thought of judgment. So it is true, Pastor, that uh, the judgment does scare people, but we can be absolutely confident that Christ is there as both our judge and our lawyer. But let's go directly to your question. Revelation chapter 14, we're studying verses 6 and 7, and we'll kind of summarize where we are up until this point. Look at the first five lessons. You remember that Revelation 14 is divided into three parts. The first part is a people who are redeemed with Christ stand in heaven with him. The second part is a message to prepare that people to stand with Christ. And the third has to do with the event, the second coming of Christ. The Revelation 14, 6 to 12, prepares us to be ready when Jesus comes. It begins in chapter 14, verse 6. The three angels' messages begin there by saying, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. So as we point out, this is an urgent message. It's not something that is done in a corner. It's an urgent message. Having the everlasting gospel to preach to those that dwell on the earth. First and foremost, the message of the three angels is the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the incredible good news that Christ lived the life that I should have lived, defeated Satan in my behalf, died the death that I should have died, is my high priest in heaven above interceding for me and will come again for me. The gospel has to do with everything Christ was, is, and will be as he comes again. It's the totality of the message of Jesus, his grace, his goodness, his mercy, his power. So it's the everlasting gospel. Who is it preached to? To every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. We spent time on that in one of our lessons talking about the fact that this message is powerfully through the ministry of the Spirit to go to the ends of the earth. Now, the message says with a loud voice, fear God, which we looked at in a lesson that means 
give the totality of your allegiance to God. It's not being afraid of God, but fearing God is a state of mind where I declare that God is number one in my life. Give glory to him. Fear God has to do with what I think, and giving glory to God has to do with what I do. Uh, Fearing God is a state of mind. Giving glory to God is a lifestyle. So as a Christian, I want to give glory to God in my lifestyle. But it says, for the hour of his judgment has come. And that's the lesson we're on this week. Notice this is a present tense judgment, the hour of God's judgment. It doesn't say will come. When I say present tense, actually the verb there, has come, is an aorist in the Greek language. It means it's past. It has already taken place or is in the process of taking place. But the hour of God's judgment has come. In other words, it has arrived. It is here. We are presently living in the judgment hour. Now, that may raise a question. Why does God need a judgment before he comes? If God is omniscient, if God knows everything, doesn't he know everything about me and why does he need a judgment? In the controversy between good and evil, in the controversy between Christ and Satan, in this cosmic conflict, Lucifer, a being of dazzling brightness, rebelled against God in heaven and was cast out of heaven. Therefore, why was Lucifer cast out? What was his challenge? Lucifer challenged the authority of God. He challenged the goodness of God. He said that God was an arbitrary dictator, a vindictive judge. He wanted allegiance from his creatures but did not give love. The purpose of the judgment is not because God doesn't know who's saved or lost, but is to reveal before a waiting world and a watching universe that in every single life, God reached out in loving kindness and compassion to save them for his kingdom. On the cross of Calvary, Christ revealed corporately to the entire universe his love. The love of God could not be questioned by the universe. But the question was, was God fair and just in every life? And so the judgment pauses. And one of the things about the judgment that I think is so incredibly encouraging is this, that within the judgment it reveals to the whole universe the importance of every life the value of every life, the sanctity of every life, because the whole universe pauses. And Jesus says, this is how I've tried to reach every person. I've sent my Holy Spirit to their heart, wherever they are in the world. He is the light that lights every man born into the world. He's placed eternity in the hearts of every human being. And he He reveals that he's been guiding since birth through his Holy Spirit, that he's revealed through nature that he's revealed through the creative works his love and grace and goodness. Christ reveals in the judgment how through the providences of life he's tried to win every person and through the proclamation of the gospel, which is the clearest revelation of his love, the proclamation of his word. So the hour of God's judgment, that is the present tense judgment, reveals before the whole universe his goodness and grace. When that is complete, and every human being on earth has had a chance to respond to his love, he then comes. You know, there may be some people watching. I'm sure you and, you and I have both run into people who, who wonder about their own value. Sure. You know, um, I've been going through this trial and that trial, and does God really love me and, and so forth. When it comes to the judgment, a lot of things are going to be revealed 
that we can't necessarily see today, uh, evidence of God's love and watch care. How would you respond to somebody who's who's feeling kind of like they've been overlooked, maybe that they don't have a chance at, at making it? Life is not always fair. Because of the brokenness of our world, because of the sin of our world, there are birth anomalies that take place. But that person is just as valuable to God, just as they have worth in God's sight. There are times that a very tragic divorce may take place. A woman has a husband who has an affair. A man has a wife that has an affair. And the husband or wife is just brokenhearted over that, and maybe they leave them for somebody else. Uh, somebody who's tried to be faithful to their health develops a life-threatening disease and dies. You know, a, a child in a terrible car accident, quadriplegic, every life is incredibly valuable to God. And what the judgment will reveal is that although life was not fair, God is always fair. And God provides the strength, the courage, the hope to cope with that. And I think there's another aspect of the judgment. Whatever unrighteousness, whatever unfairness, whatever um, whatever challenges I've faced in life, in the judgment, God's going to make all things right. God will explain that he has been there with me in the trials of life to give me hope and encouragement. But life is short, 70 years, 80 years. You know, Pastor, I am now 77 years old. <laughs> And it's amazing how quickly my life has gone by. I've been in ministry 55 years now, and my life has just gone by so quickly. I mean, I can't believe, as I look back on life, how fast it's gone. But yet, we have an eternity to live, millions and millions of years. So there may be trials, there may be difficulties, there may be challenges, but the judgment says that evil will be condemned. The judgment says that Satan will be defeated. The judgment says that Christ is going to set all things right and set up his eternal, everlasting kingdom. And that's incredibly good news. It is, and I hope that that encourages you. You Looking at the judgment, the book of Revelation is not the only place that talks about the judgment. When we talk about the judgment, one of the other books that comes up frequently is the book of Daniel. How do these two judgments that we read about in Daniel and in Revelation, how do they relate one with another? You know, there are two prophetic books in the Bible, Daniel and Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus, through John, as we've described, mentions that the hour of God's judgment has come. But it doesn't tell us when the clock struck the hour. It doesn't tell us when the judgment began. But if you go back to Daniel chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9, Um, you find the outline of history revealed, the history of the plan of salvation in Christ. And in Daniel chapter 7, we have the scene of the judgment being set. In Daniel chapter 7, you have a vision of four beasts, the lion, the bear, the leopard, the dragon, or the the dragon-like beast, And with ten horns, you have a rise of a little horn. So in in Daniel chapter 7, prophetically, you have the same four empires that are mentioned in Daniel 2. You have Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. You have the breakup of the Roman Empire depicted in the ten toes of the image and in the ten horns of Daniel chapter 7. 
But in Daniel chapter 7, you have the rise of this little horn, a religious political power that will try to change God's law. But then you have the opening of the scenes of the judgment. So Daniel is looking first at what takes place on earth. Then he looks up and sees this judgment scene that's incredibly good news to him because the earthly powers that have opposed and oppressed God's um, plan and God's purposes and God's people are destroyed. So you look there at Daniel chapter 7, and can you read verses 9 and 10? Verse 9 says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. So here you have Daniel sees the opening of the judgment that Revelation talked about. So beautiful connection. We're going to dig into that a little bit more. But before we go to break, I want to share with you something that you do not want to miss. Make sure you pick up a copy of the complement to this quarter's Sabbath school lesson. It is Three Cosmic Messages by Mark Finley, a very powerful book that will add deeper insight, more value to your study time. You don't want to miss picking this book up. Where can you find it? It's real easy. You'll find it at itiswritten.shop. Again, that's itiswritten.shop. Look for Three Cosmic Messages by Pastor Mark Finley, and it will add an immense amount of value to your study of this quarter's subject. We're going to be back in just a moment as we continue looking at this judgment, something not to fear, but to look forward to. We'll be back in just a moment. He spent 32 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. More than half his life behind bars, even though he was an innocent man. Junk science, false testimony, and shoddy investigative work came together to send a man to prison for more than three decades. Join me for Not Guilty, where you'll hear from the people at the center of the exoneration of an innocent man. We'll look not only at innocent people being freed, but at the phenomenon of guilty people being pardoned. People who committed the offense, who broke the law, and yet were set free by God Himself. Every person alive has sinned and come short of the glory of God, and yet God offers pardon and forgiveness to all, absolutely free. Don't miss Not Guilty, where you'll learn that no matter your past, no matter your present, you can face the future with confidence, without fear, and with absolute hope. Not Guilty, brought to you by It Is Written TV. More and more people are watching It Is Written TV. They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs, listening to inspiring sermon series, and much more. They're watching them here, here, and even here. See for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand. Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV, and at itiswritten.tv. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We are looking at the judgment this week. This is lesson number six. And Pastor Mark, we've been in the book of Daniel looking at the setting of the judgment. You mentioned, though, that in Revelation we don't know the timing of the judgment. Fortunately for us, 
Daniel talks about the timing for the judgment. Where do we find that? We find that in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel 8, 14. Daniel 8 starts with the vision of the ram and the he-goat, describing the rise of Medo-Persia, Greece, and then after that, both pagan Rome and papal Rome. The angel asks a question in Daniel chapter 8, verse 13, how long will be the vision concerning the daily sacrifices? Now, the word sacrifices is an added word. The word daily is a Hebrew word tamid that has to do with everything that goes on in the sanctuary. It has to do with the lights in the sanctuary, the, the candlesticks. It has to do with the incense in the sanctuary. It has to do with the priesthood. It's something that's continually happening in the sanctuary. So Daniel points us to the sanctuary. The religious political power has trampled down the truth about the sanctuary. They've trampled down on the truth about Jesus as our sacrifice, Jesus as our priest, high priest. And uh, here it says in verse 14, he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed or restored to its rightful place. So at the end of the 2,300 days, the sanctuary would be restored. Now, what did the Jews understand about this idea of the cleansing of the sanctuary? At the end of the Jewish year, there was a day called the Day of Atonement, which was a day of judgment where all sin was cleansed from the sanctuary. So we see here a concept of the cleansing of the sanctuary. We see the idea of judgment. It's embedded in that concept. So the the sanctuary would be restored. The truth about Jesus as his death, his high priestly ministry, his law, all of that would be restored at the end of the 2300 days. Now, in Bible prophecy, Ezekiel 4, verse 6, Numbers 14, uh, 32, talk about one prophetic day equaling one literal year. So the 2300 days are actually 2300 years. Now, when Daniel saw this, he didn't fully understand it. He's wondering, is this cleansing of the sanctuary my people leaving Babylonian and Medo-Persian captivity and going back to uh, Jerusalem? Is that what it's talking about? So he doesn't understand it. He's thinking 2300 days, 2300 years. And you come to the end of this chapter, and Daniel faints at the end of Daniel chapter 8, verse 27. And I, Daniel, fainted, Daniel 8, 27, was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. So here you have Daniel fainting, and he doesn't understand the vision. You know, when you start talking about some of these prophecies, especially the ones related to dates, a lot of times people get confused. And though I've shared this with many people, I haven't had anybody faint on me yet. <laughs> so Daniel was having a rough time. And if, if Daniel ended at the end of Daniel chapter 8, we'd kind of be in a bit of a pickle. But it doesn't, and it goes into Daniel chapter 9. What happened after Daniel was struggling with, with understanding this? How did God help him through that? You know, it says, Pastor, that Daniel fainted because he didn't understand the vision. The ram and he goat, Medo-Persian Greece, they were clearly explained. The little horn power was clearly explained. The portion of the vision that was not clearly explained to Daniel was the 2300 days that has to do with the cleansing of the sanctuary, 
the setting of all things right, the judgment. That's what needed to be explained. So time goes on, and Daniel begins to pray as this magnificent prayer in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. And while he's praying in verse 20 of Daniel 9, it says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God, verse 21, while I was praying in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I saw in the vision at the beginning. What's the vision at the beginning? It's the vision of Daniel 8. So he says, Gabriel comes back now to explain the vision that he did not understand. Verse 22, he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I've now come forth to give you skill and understanding. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? He faints in Daniel 8, verse 27. Gabriel comes back to explain the portion of the vision that he doesn't understand. And Gabriel begins, can you read verse 24 for us? He says, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So, 70 weeks are determined on your people. The word determined is an interesting Hebrew word, chatuk, which means cut off. So, 70 weeks are cut off from the 2300 days, or the 2300 years. So, if you look at the day-year principle, 70 weeks, 7 days in a week, 7 times 70, 7 times 0 is 0, 7 times 7 is 49. We learned that, didn't we, in multiplication. So, you get 490 days or years. 490 years of this prophecy, whenever it begins, relate to the Jews. The rest of the the 2,300 years, after you subtract 490, take us down to the opening of the judgment. Now, if we can figure out when this begins, it will help us. So, now notice what it says, too, that 70 weeks are determined on your people, the Jews, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Who would make reconciliation for iniquity? The Messiah, Christ. Who would bring an everlasting righteousness? The Messiah, Christ. Who would anoint the most holy in the sanctuary to begin his priestly ministry? Christ. When does this prophecy begin? Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks and the street shall be built again in the wall even in troublous times. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, if we can figure out when that took place. There were three commands to restore and build Jerusalem. The last of these commands found in Ezra 7 was given by Artaxerxes. The uniqueness of this command, this last one, was the Jews could go back and establish worship and build their their temple again. They were given the national right as a people. That decree went forth in 457 B.C., So if you take 457 B.C. as the starting point and you go forward on the timeline 69 weeks or 7 times 69, 483 years, it takes you to 27 A.D. There's no zero years. It takes you to 27. What happens in the fall of 27? In the fall of 27, there was a significant baptism that took place. Yeah, Jesus is baptized in the fall of 27 A.D. It is amazing that hundreds of years ahead of time, and the word Messiah means... The anointed one. The anointed one. So Jesus, according to Acts 10, 38, is anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. So you have 27 AD. Then, verse 26, after 62 weeks, 
that is, after this last portion, sometime after 27 AD, Messiah will be cut off or crucified, but not for himself. When would that take place? Verse 27, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So if you have 69 weeks that run out in 27 AD, you have one prophetic week left, seven years, and at the end of that time, he confirms the covenant he's made with Israel as a corporate nation, as his chosen people. Then it says, in the middle of the week, so it's the middle of this last week, in the middle of this last week, you have half of seven, which is three and a half. So if you have 69 weeks running out in 27 AD, and you have three and a half weeks left from the fall of 27. Well, three, to 31. Yeah, 31. 31. In the spring. In the spring. And right. what, what event happens in the spring? Well, there was a significant death. Yeah. And that was Jesus' death on the cross. Yeah, and the Passover. The Passover. And so Christ is the Passover lamb who sacrificed for us. And then you go three and a half years from that, and you get 34 in the fall. Stephen is stoned. Stephen is stoned, the gospel going to the Gentiles. Yeah, and the high priest rents his robe. Yeah. And, uh, and you have the, the lawsuit covenant speech. And so let's review that. There would be 490 years that would relate to the Jewish nation. First part of the prophecy. Along that timeline, you have events that would take place, the baptism of Christ. Christ was baptized exactly on time, A.D. 27. Crucified exactly on time, spring of 31, Passover lamb. The gospel goes to the Gentiles, 34, exactly on time. And if 490 years run out in 18, in 34 AD, we got, of the 2300 years, 490 from 2300, it's real math lesson yes. today, isn't it? You got 1810 years left. Right. It takes you to, eight, to 1844. 1844. Wow. The judgment would begin in 1844. That means we're living in the judgment hour, a time when the truth of God's word is to be restored to the entire world, a time when the truth of God's word is to go forth to the ends of the earth, a time to be sure our hearts are right with God. So if there's somebody watching today who says, okay, all that math makes sense, which it does, and I see that this applies to the judgment, and I'm living in this time, in the judgment hour, since 1844, that's you and me, we're living in this time period, what kind of words of encouragement would you give to someone to, to be prepared for the day when their name comes up in the courts of heaven? Sure. The encouragement I would give is this. In Christ, by Christ, through Christ, there's no possibility that we can be lost. In ourselves, in our sinful, proud, arrogant nature, the heart is sinful above all things, deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. I would give you the encouragement that my friend, Pastor George Vanderman, used to give the founder and director of It Is Written. This is what George used to tell me all the time, and he told his audiences. He said, as I look at myself, I see no way I can be saved. As I look at Jesus, I can see no way that I can be lost. In Christ, salvation is yours. Pastor Bark, thank you once again for joining us this week. We are on an incredible journey through an incredible series of messages in Revelation chapter 14, and we've still got a few weeks to go. We do. So exciting stuff ahead of us. And we're excited to have you join us as well. Incredible things in store as we look at the message that God has for us. Thanks for joining us again this week on Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We'll see you again next week.